0: to see you, everybody. It really is great to see you, and uh, thank you very much for that Uh, welcome. Uh, It's great to be here at the beginning of Advent and at the beginning of our uh, Advent sermon series. Uh, I don't know if you know, but actually on the the four Sundays of Advent, there's something of a church tradition that says each of those uh, four Sundays has something of its own uh, theme, and that's what we're going to be taking. We'll be looking at one of those on each of the Sundays or gifts as we're going to be uh, thinking of them. So next week we're gonna be looking at the gift of peace at Advent, then we'll look at joy at the Christmas celebration services and then the following week We'll look at love today. We're going to begin by looking at the gift of hope. And talking of hope, I hope that you are well. And I uh, nice little link there. Um, and I hope that you are even a fraction as excited as uh, as we were in our house this morning as we opened up uh, day number one of our many Advent calendars. <laughs> Uh, that we have. I think I've told you before that we are very much a Christmas family. We really enjoy Christmas. Pretty sure I've told you before that my wife is so into Christmas that I actually call her uh, Mrs Christmas. Um, although she has, uh, since I last told you that, she's qualified as a psychologist now, so now she only answers to Doctor Christmas. Um, that's that's not true. Um, but she is no longer the most excited party in the household. Actually, that uh, that position belongs to my uh, two little boys, Jack and Isaac, who are uh, four and two, uh, respectively. Um, they really are excited. They are absolutely giddy with excitement, and it is just lovely to see them this time of year. And I'm sure it's the same for you with the children in your life, or perhaps you can even think back uh, to when it was uh, you as a child. Uh, do you know that song, uh, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire? That, you, you know, that's actually called the Christmas song uh, but what it lacks in an imaginative title it more than makes up for I think in wonderful imagery and there is a line in that song that always reminds me of my two little boys whenever I hear it and it's this tiny tots with their hearts all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight there's just something so wonderful about it, isn't it? And you can probably remember it yourself when you were younger or see it in children, in your family or in your life. Just that excitement, just that so excited they can't actually get themselves to sleep because they know that something wonderful is coming. They know, in a word, that they have hope. And maybe that's what you need right now. Maybe you're in a... I had a feeling today it was going to be hard. <laughs> so brace yourself anyway. Uh, maybe that's where you're at right now maybe in your life you're in uh, perhaps a a place of despair of despondency or fear or anxiety and you just need hope maybe it's not your whole life right now but maybe a particular situation you just need something to come along to make that better maybe it's a work situation or a relationship Now maybe it's a sickness, maybe you've had a a diagnosis and it just all feels so hopeless at the moment. And maybe you think about that image of those children so full of hope that they can't get to sleep and you just think, that would be lovely to have some of that right now. That feeling of just hope bursting like a spring from within. That feeling that things are going to get better, that there are better things to come. Well, it's my prayer, goodness, worse than usual, isn't it? Um, (laughs) It's my prayer this morning. That by the time we leave today, that actually we will see that Advent is a season just absolutely bursting with hope. But hope in what? Actually, if we carry on in the Christmas song, we see what it is that the tiny tots with their hearts all aglow are so excited about. We see the reason they can't get to sleep. It says, Santa's on his way. He's got lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And I think actually that quite neatly sums up really what's happened with Christmas and Advent in general. There is this idea that what we're getting excited about is Santa coming with all his presents and all the other things that go along with Christmas, not just sharing gifts but having time off and extra football fixtures and the food and all those kind of things. But actually, of course, that isn't what Advent is all about. We are meant to get excited about someone that's coming, but that someone is not meant to be Santa. It is, of course, Jesus. And if we look at the prophet Isaiah, a prophet who lived in Jerusalem and prophesied some seven centuries before Jesus came, we see throughout his prophecies recorded in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that in a dark time for the people of Israel, for the people of God, he started to prophesy that at some point in the future, a particular figure would come, a figure of hope, a coming king who was going to come and lead his people, who was going to save his people, who was going to put everything right, a king who would be a descendant of their great King David, that they look back to that wonderful time of peace and prosperity in their land, who would be a descendant of David, who the other prophets tell us would be born in Bethlehem, who would come to be known when people were hoping for him to come as the Messiah or the Christ. Those words mean the same thing, mean the anointed one. Somebody who was going to come, this great hope, who was going to save them and put everything right for them. And of course, he was talking about the coming of Jesus. And there's a certain line in Isaiah. I just think of just a wonderful Advent scripture, a scripture of hope. And it's so evocative, particularly this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, where it's so dark and we see these beautiful Christmas lights out. It really helps us to see just how wonderful it is to see light in the darkness. Isaiah said this about the coming Messiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What he's saying is, this figure, this king, this Christ, this Messiah, he is the one that is going to come in times of despair, in a time of darkness, a time of despondency, and he is going to be that great light. The hope that we have at Advent is the hope not in the coming of Santa, and this is not a killjoy message, so if you love all that stuff, go for it. I'm just saying there is an even greater hope still. Advent is about the hope in the coming of Jesus, and that's what Advent means, it means coming but hope in the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to look today at hope from three different vantage points. We're going to look at hope fulfilled in the coming of Jesus at Bethlehem. We're going to look at hope for the future in the second coming of Jesus, that is Jesus coming at the end of history as we know it. And we're going to look at hope for each day, that is the daily coming of Jesus in our hearts. And as I said, it is my prayer today that as we consider these things, we won't just consider them intellectually, but we'll receive a spiritual revelation and that we might actually receive the gift of hope this Advent. So let's begin. Number one, hope fulfilled. Let's celebrate Jesus' coming at Bethlehem. You know, We can look back at Jesus coming at Bethlehem and we can see that actually this means our God is a promise keeping God. He said he would send somebody and he did. Our hopes were fulfilled. But not only that, the person he sent, Jesus, is actually the very foundation of all of our hope. And this is worthy of celebration. Matthew 1.18 says this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that means slept together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And this, I'm saying, is worthy of celebration. This is something that we should look back, glory in, and celebrate on this hope fulfilled that Jesus was sent to us. But truth be told, a lot of people these days need convincing that that is worthy of celebration. I saw a poll the other day and 78% of the people who took part in the poll actually said that the celebration of Jesus' birth was not any kind of big part of their Christmas. And sometimes I think they look at us as Christians and kind of think we're just kind of overcooking it. You know, we, we, we love Christmas, you know, we, we love all the stuff, the, the turkey and the mistletoe and the time off and all that kind of stuff. Why are you trying to convince us that the reason for the season is the birth of this baby, you know? Two thousand years ago, and four thousand miles away. Even if we concede that this was some, you know, great moral teacher or perhaps some great leader, you know, even then, what's the big deal? Why is it more? Why are you trying to convince us that this is worthy of celebration? I mean, why should we not celebrate? I don't know the birthday of Aristotle or Socrates or uh, Gandhi or Churchill or whoever your 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 hero is. Why is it that Jesus is so different? And in some ways, we can sympathise because, again, we, we don't celebrate those kind of things. We don't get excited about those kind of things. But actually, it's because they're missing something. There is something different about Jesus than any of those other figures that I've just mentioned. There is something unique about him. There is no other name that compares to the name of Jesus. Let me illustrate. While the people in this illustration are real, the, the, this is entirely fictional. Okay, so ju- just so you know. Uh, let's say I come back from uh, work one day, and uh, my wife Becky greets me at the door and says, well, Got some good news, got something for you to celebrate later on. And I start to get all excited and stuff, and I say, Okay, well, what is this? And she says, No, let's wait, let's get the kids down, let's get ready. Okay, so we have our dinner, we get the kids down, I get the dishes done, and so on. And then finally we're sitting together on the sofa and I say, "Okay, what is it? What's this good news you got for me? And she hands me a little present. It's all nice and neatly wrapped up. And I open it up and I find inside a rather tatty book. And actually it's a book I already own. Yeah, a book that means something to me, but nevertheless a book I've got many copies of. Let's say it's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And I kind of look at her and think, well, okay, yes, I, I like the book, but I've got other copies of this and I've got the radio play version and the movie and the, <laughs> everything else about it. And I'm thinking, well, why do I need this? Why, why have you bigged this up so much? What's the big deal here? This is a much worse copy than all the other copies I've got at the moment, at the moment uh, as it is. And at that point, I'm probably thinking the way a lot of people think about uh, Christians at Christmas. They're kind of trying to get us really, really excited about something and, and it doesn't really seem worthy of celebration. But then I stop and I look at my wife, and I can see, she can see the crushed look on my face because she's big this thing up and it doesn't look quite so exciting, but she's still smiling. And then she says to me, why don't you take a closer look? So I open up the front cover and I realize that actually this is a a first edition. This is worth thousands of pounds. And I look and go, wow, a first edition? And she says, now take another look. And I look and I see, not only is this a first edition and therefore worth a lot of money, but actually it's signed by C.S. Lewis himself. I find actually this isn't just worth a lot of money, this is absolutely priceless. All of a sudden I realise what I've got in my hand is wonderful, is priceless and this is worthy of celebration. And the funny thing is actually nothing has changed in the last few moments, I'm still holding the same book in my hand. The thing is now I understand the significance of the gift that's been given and that is what Christmas is about. Once you understand the significance of the gift that God has given us in the birth of Jesus Christ, then you understand that this is a hope fulfilled. This is something to celebrate. And we can understand that significance by understanding the significance of one word that Matthew gives us here. And it's a word he uses to describe Jesus. He describes him as this, not just being the birth of a baby, not just the birth of any other leader, not just the birth of a moral teacher, but the birth of the Messiah, and again, this is the promised one, promised by Isaiah and other prophets that would be born in Bethlehem and would be born to us. But someone might still say, well, so what? What is it that's so exciting about a Messiah coming to a bunch of people 2,000 years ago? And a lot of people might say, well, yeah, I agree with them. You know, historically, the Messiah was going to come and help them, but how does that help me? And it's true to say that many people around the time waiting for the Messiah, they thought what the Messiah was going to come and do was going to save them at that particular time to throw out their enemy, which at that particular time was the Roman army. Uh, At that point in history... For the umpteenth time in their very troubled history, the people of God were yet again a captive people, oppressed by the Roman army. They were the occupying force in their lives. And they wanted the Messiah to come and re-establish the kingdom and overcome that enemy. They wanted to be saved from the Romans. And if that's all Jesus was meant to do as a Messiah, then actually we've got a couple of problems. Number one is this. Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. He didn't save his people from the Romans. In fact, the Romans actually killed him. He was crucified on Good Friday by the Romans. A spoiler alert, he did come back to life three days later, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he wasn't just a military Messiah who was going to overthrow the Romans. He didn't do that. Secondly, if Jesus was only meant to be a Messiah who was going to kick out the Romans, that would mean he was only fulfilling the hopes, even if he succeeded, of those people at that particular time with that particular problem. But Jesus isn't just a king for those particular people at that particular time with that particular problem. Jesus is the king of all time and of the all of the universe. Jesus didn't just come to kick out the enemy at that particular time. He came to kick out the enemy, the occupying force that has been there right since the fall. Not the Roman army, but the enemy, the occupying force that all of us suffer with every single day, and that is sin. Jesus did not come to save from the Romans. He came to save us from our sins. And we see this if we continue to read in Matthew. After Mary becomes pregnant... Uh, Joseph has something of a problem, as you would if you were betrothed to somebody, and they came and said, now I know we've not slept together, but I'm pregnant. You would probably have an issue as well. But God sends an angel to Joseph, a messenger, to explain the situation. And the angel says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. That means God saves Because he will save his people from their sins. Do you see? Matthew is saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the king, the one that's gonna come and sort out all the problems of the people of God, not because he's gonna save them from the Romans, but because he's gonna save them from their sins. And this is a much bigger uh, thing. This, this, this is cosmic rather than just local to Israel at that particular time in history. And why is this such a big deal? Because sin is the enemy behind the enemy. Sin is the real problem. Sin is the thing that all of us need saving from. And therefore if Jesus can do this, he isn't just their messiah in the first century. He's our messiah. He's our king. He's our saviour. All of us need more than anything else to be saved from sin. This is worthy of celebration. This is is glorious. Why is it so glorious? Well let's unpack it for a moment because we often say you know Jesus saves us from our sins but what does that mean? We can think of it like this, he saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin and the presence of sin. See if you will come to Jesus, repent of your sins, put your faith in him, Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. Every sin that we commit is a sin against God, a wrong against him. And one day when we die, God will ask us to give an account for the life we've lived. And any of those sins that we've committed, there will be a penalty to pay for those sins. But if you will come to Jesus, what it means is Jesus paid the penalty for those sins on the cross. So when you face God at that point, there is no penalty to pay because the penalty has already been paid. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. But not only that, Jesus saves us from the power of sin. Sin is the corrupting force in our lives. Sin is the reason you get the Roman army who want to oppress people and take over the world. And all sorts of other corrupt and horrible regimes. sin. Sin is the reason you get things like what happened this week in our country. Sin is the reason that we in ourselves can be so selfish and want to be so good and yet hurt the people we love and so on. And yet, if we come to Jesus, not only does he save us from the penalty of sin, he also gives us his Holy Spirit, his presence, to overcome the power of sin. He saves us from the penalty of sin, he saves us from the power of sin. But what's more, because he saves us from the penalty of sin, one day when we die, there is no penalty to face, and therefore we will go and live with Jesus forever. One day he will come back, usher in the new heavens and the new earth. He will give us new resurrection bodies and we will live for him forever. And in that new heavens and new earth, which we'll talk about more in just a moment, do you know one thing that will be absent? Sin. (laughs) There will be no sin whatsoever. He saves us from the presence of sin. Now again, if Jesus had just kicked out the Romans, that wouldn't be worthy of celebration. But if Jesus has come and saved us from sin itself, that we never face its penalty, that we can overcome its power, and one day we'll be entirely free from its presence, then this is not just a fulfillment the fulfilment the, of the people of God in the first century. This is a fulfilment of our greatest hope that sin has been overcome and we have eternal life. This is worthy of celebration. This is us celebrating that hope has been fulfilled in Jesus coming at Bethlehem. But secondly, we have hope for the future. And in this, we want to look forward to Jesus coming at the end of human history as we know it. See, Advent, although we often think this, is not really just about the first coming of Jesus. And some of you, if you've got a traditional church background, so if you're in the Church of England, for example, you'll know around Advent season, lots of the scriptures that you read is not about Jesus coming at Bethlehem, uh, but is about actually the second coming of Jesus. Advent is actually about both. How can this be? Well, let me illustrate. Sorry to Chelsea fans at this point, but anyway... Um, In 2008, Manchester United were about to play uh, Chelsea in the European Cup final. And in preparation for that particular day, what I decided to do, uh, because this was the uh, second European Cup final, I decided that I would watch videos, uh, or maybe DVDs, I think it was, uh, DVDs of the, uh, the first European Cup win. I say the first, uh, the first in my lifetime. There was another European Cup win in the 60s, but I wasn't, it's, you know, there were so many European Cup wins, it, you know, it gets confused, you know how it is, Dave. Uh, also, sorry, he, he doesn't. Manchester City have never won the European Cup, sorry. <clears throat> That was an accident, I'm sorry, okay? (laughs) Except, you know, it wasn't, and I'm not. Um, No, joking, joking apart. What I was doing is, in my lifetime, I decided that I would watch the first European Cup win, yes, to celebrate in it and glory in it and so on, but why else was I doing that? To fuel my expectations and my hopes of the second European Cup win. And that's really what we're doing at Advent. It's not just about looking back to the first time God fulfilled his promise and sent Jesus to his people. But that isn't just something for us to look back and glory in and celebrate. It fuels our hopes and expectations of the second time Jesus will come back to his people. What I'm talking about here is the second coming. And it's my contention, this this gripped me as a sort of theological insight a few years ago, that actually we just don't think about the second coming enough. We don't think about it anywhere near as much as the people in the early church did. And if we can change that and really live in the light of eternity, live in the light of the fact that one day Jesus is coming back to us, actually it completely changes our outlook. You know, For every one mention of Jesus' first coming in the New Testament, there are eight mentions of the second coming. I think this is something so important that we have as Christians, this hope for the future that one day Jesus is coming back. So we've got three things I want us to to consider here to help sort of fuel those expectations about the second coming of Jesus. And the first one is this. He is coming back assuredly. What do I mean by that? I mean it's a sure hope. We know for definite, we know assuredly that one day Jesus is coming back. Now it's true we don't know when he's coming back. But we do know that he is coming back. One day the disciples asked Jesus about the time that he would come back. And Jesus said this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. In other words, he was saying, nobody knows when I will come back. And he was including himself in that, uh, you know, as uh, Jesus walking around on earth in the first century. So if Jesus didn't know, I don't think we should follow any of these sort of modern day prophets who tell us they know exactly when the second coming is going to happen. That's just an aside, but the other thing I want to say is this. We shouldn't let the fact that we don't know when he's coming back distract us from the fact that we do know that he is coming back. In other words, he is definitely coming back one day. This isn't just a hope like I had that day, kind of hope Man United will beat Chelsea. They did as it happens, but it went to penalties. It was touch and go. No, this is a sure hope. Jesus is coming back assuredly. Secondly, Jesus is coming back bodily. Uh, it is definitely the, the case in the whole of the New Testament Scriptures. Uh, you know, sometimes people talk about the second coming. It's like Jesus coming in our hearts or a spiritual come. Whatever they're talking about, there may be truth in some of that, but it isn't the second coming. When Jesus comes back, he is coming back visibly and bodily, and everybody will know about it. It will be an incredible event. So that's the second thing, he's coming back bodily. And the third thing is this, when Jesus comes back, he will usher in the end of the age and he will recreate, or the Lord will recreate the new heavens and the new earth. All the old ways, all this sin-corrupted earth will pass away and a new heavens and a new earth will come, or a new Jerusalem, as it's sometimes called in the Scriptures. And each one of us will be raised again, those who are dead in that time but took the name of Christ during our lifetime and given new resurrection bodies that will never spoil, that will never fail, that will never get cancer, that will never get any kind of diagnosis or aches and pains or any of those things. And any that are alive at that time, that we changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be caught up with him for a moment. The old way will pass away and the new heavens and the new earth will come. And again, our favourite prophet for today, Isaiah, describes this for us. This is the Lord speaking. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Do you ever think that? How could you ever enjoy eternity knowing of all the sadness and loss and things that go on? But God will take all that away from us. They won't even come to our mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying, I'll be out of a job then, uh, will be heard in it no more. (laughs) You get the feeling when you read these descriptions about the life to come, the age to come in the scriptures, that it's so good. No one can quite. I mean, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if there was an appendix in there somewhere that said, this is exactly what it will be like. This is what we're going to inherit. This is what we've got to look forward to. But it's like it's so good, nobody can quite describe it. I mean, this is a, a flippant example, but when I think back to that. 2008 European Cup win. I remember when we finally clinched it on penalties, I remember somehow my dad and I were both lying on the floor. (laughs) I was one way, he was the other, and we were sort of holding hands and a kind of clutched high-five in the middle. And I remember afterwards, just that joy, which didn't last, I'm not trying to compare it, okay, it was certainly not forever. But I remember in that time, if you were to ask me how it felt, you know what I'd say? I can't tell you. It was indescribable. You know when you have those glorious feelings, you can't quite describe it. You get to the end of whatever your communication gift is, don't you? And you get that feeling that that's what's happening when people are describing what this great hope is. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen and no ear has heard, no eye has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Like it's so good, so incredible, you can't even see it with your eyes. So amazing, you can't even hear it with your ears. You can't even imagine it. And this is what God has prepared for us. This is the great future hope that we look forward to. You know, there's a, a little expression. I tried to find out where it was originated, but I couldn't. But You might have heard it before. Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Now, what I want to say is this, is actually if you take away this great hope that we have when Jesus comes back and gives us this new heavens and new earth and raises us again, and we get to live forever. If you take that away... That little expression is just a meaningless platitude. It's baseless. It's based on nothing but unfounded optimism. Because actually we don't know that things will be all right in the end. They could get worse and worse. (laughs) But actually, because of this great hope, this great promise, because we know assuredly one day Jesus is coming back, we know that we can actually say that as Christians with convictions, whatever we're going through, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right... It's not the end. But while that's a great hope for us, we must remember that actually this is a hope that belongs to those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we've got to remember that we must try in this period, before Jesus comes back, this is our time, not to just be waiting for the future to come, but to be at work, to try and share the message with as many people as we can that they might come into Jesus' kingdom and inherit that, inherit that wonderful promise for themselves. And we have an opportunity in two weeks' time at the Christmas celebration service. Grab a bunch of these as you hand them over to people. Just think what you're giving them is a ticket to the party to end all parties. This is their passport to that kingdom, that new heavens, that new earth. Let's do all that we can. Let's not say them they're no for them. Let's be bold. Let's just invite as many people, however unlikely we think it might be, that they say yes. Let's pray. Let's invite. And let's see as many people come to the Lord and inherit this great hope as we can. But thirdly, we have hope for each day. Let's enjoy Jesus coming into our hearts every single day. See, it might be at this point, you're thinking, well, this is all well and good, Tom. You know, I can look back and I can celebrate Jesus' first coming, that hope fulfilled, and I can wait, but you tell me you don't know how long it's going to be. It could be thousands of years, could be millions of years for all we know when he's coming back. But what am I meant to do today? You know, things are trouble for me today. I need hope in my particular situation today. Well, what is it? Did, did Jesus just go to the cross and then rise again and then go to be at the right hand of the Father and then say, okay, well, keep me posted. I'll be back in thousands of years, but who knows when. Has he left us to it now in this in-between times? Absolutely not. And again, we get a hint of this when we read in Matthew. Uh, again, he's, he's looking at the prophet Isaiah here. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, what Matthew is saying here is not that Jesus had two names. One was Emmanuel and one was Jesus. Now names in that culture had a very important place. When he gave someone a name or talked about them bit, what you were saying is everything about that name describes who they are. So he wasn't saying here that Jesus' friends, some will call him Emmanuel and some will call him Jesus. No, he was called Jesus. But what he's saying is everything about Emmanuel, which means God with us, tells you all you need to know about Jesus. Like earlier on, I said that I call my wife Mrs. Christmas. Of course, I don't. I call her Becky. (laughs) What I meant, and you understood it when I said that, was everything you need to know about Becky in this particular season, or actually for her since about September, but anyway, um, (laughs) tells you everything you need to know. That tells you what you need to know. She's Mrs. Christmas. She's all about Christmas. This is what Isaiah was saying, what Matthew is saying about Jesus. He's all about, if you want to know what Jesus is all about, he's God with us. Can you see what he's saying? He's not saying when Jesus came among his people, he was God amongst his people then, but he will always be with us. In fact, in a very beautiful little bookend at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, do you know what Jesus' very last words to us are? And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. See, yes, Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father after his resurrection remember we read in the book of Acts what's one of the very first things that happens after Jesus has gone to be at the right hand of the Father. He pours out his Holy Spirit on his church and that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He's with us right up until the second coming. Jesus is with us every single day. If you have come to Jesus, it's not just that we're waiting one day for him to come back. His hope is there for you every day. He's the hope in your work situation that's troubling you. If you have daily despair, He is your hope in that particular situation. And can I say this, because I know it's true for some of you, that actually Christmas, I know, can be a difficult time. I remember for me, when I was depressed, and I've told you all about that kind of thing before, I found Christmas one of the worst times of the year, actually. Because such a uh, sort of pressure to be happy and to be in joy and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't. I felt miserable. And so it felt even worse. And some of you might be feeling like that right now. Some of you, it might be that this is the very first Christmas since you lost a loved one. And actually, you're dreading it coming because you know it's going to bring back all those memories. Maybe it's not the first Christmas, but maybe you still miss somebody that you love at this particular time of year. And what I want to say to you is actually, you have Jesus in this situation right throughout Advent, right throughout Christmas, right throughout the rest of your life that you can call upon to give you hope in that situation every single day. I remember when I was... Uh, a young boy, I was probably about um, 11 years old, I remember I, um, I came up with what I thought was a, an ingenious idea. Looking back, it was a very simple idea, but I thought it was kind of ingenious. I thought what I'd do is when we went up to visit my nan uh, during the summer holidays, I would sort of get her aside at one point and I would say, ask her if there was one thing that she needed that would kind of make her life better. Um, And, you know, I was an 11-year-old boy, so I was kind of thinking it'd be something like, you know, one of these um, microwaved ovens they've just invented, or a VCR or a remote-controlled telly or something like that. And I can remember, I thought, I'll ask her during the summer holidays, and then I'll tell my parents, and then they can buy it for her for Christmas. And we'll know she'll be really happy, because, you know, I've asked her, what one thing would you like? And I can remember it really vividly as we were going from uh, Nan's living room into the kitchen. I sort of sidled up next to her, and I said to her, Nan, what one thing did you have that would just sort of help you make your life better and so on? And she said to me, she goes, the one thing I'd really like, love, I'd really like to have your granddad back. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. And I remember that was just a really poignant, really clear... lesson for me then as a sort of materialistic young 11 year old boy with sort of simple ideas of life that actually no amount of material goods no amount if I can put it like this of Christmas presents will ever make up for the presence of a loved one that you've lost and my nan did know the Lord as it happens I didn't at the time and I wouldn't have had the theology as an 11 year old anyway but I wish I could have said to her something like look nan I can't make grandad come but if you'll come to Jesus, if you will ask him, he will come to you in this situation. And Jesus is the one who comforts those who mourn. And there are other situations beside. Maybe it is a work situation. And you need Jesus to come to you and give you hope in that situation. Well, Isaiah tells us Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Why don't you call upon his counsel? He is your hope in that situation. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe you've got a broken heart. Isaiah tells us Jesus is the one that will bind up the brokenhearted. He's your hope in that situation. Why don't you call upon him every single day? Yes, we can look back and see that our hope was fulfilled and we have the foundation of hope in him coming at Bethlehem. Yes, we can look forward to the future hope when he will come and there will be no tears and there will be no death and no sickness and so on. But we can also call upon him each day. He is our hope for every single day. Can we see that Advent is just a season absolutely bursting with hope? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much, that you did not treat us as our sins deserved, but you sent your only son, Jesus, to come to be with us. Thank you that you are a promise-keeping God who fulfills our hopes in every single way. Lord, I pray you will come to us, particularly those of us who are in despair, in darkness right now, or those of us who need hope in particular situations. Will you come, give us a revelation that we might receive the gift of hope this Advent. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.